something caught my eye. It caused me to stop dead in my tracks. It was just a glimpse, but it changed my life forever. This December, my wife and I celebrate 15 years of marriage. Yeah, we're excited. Three kids, uh, getting married to the best friend, love of my life. In 2000, the summer of 2000, I happened to be going to this college night at our church. It was a luau. A bunch of people, a bunch of college students all around. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this incredibly beautiful blonde by the food table. And I was captivated. I was dumbstruck. All I knew is I had to talk to this girl. And I mean, she was not only cute, but creative. She had brought uh, pineapple fried rice in using the pineapple as the bowl. I thought, you know, that was pretty, I'd never thought of that. That was amazing. That was incredible. And so for the rest of the night, we stood by that food table talking. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what we talked about. Couldn't tell you what I said. But I remember from that day forward, all I wanted to do was hang out with this lovely lady. In fact, I have a picture of um, us back in the day. <laughs> now you can see that um, she definitely lowered her standard for me. <laughs> it was only a glimpse but it redirected the very course of my life. And today, we have three beautiful kids as a result. Two summers before that, another significant glimpse took place. Uh, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. I was working a landscaping job. My boss took me to this big, wide-open field, dropped me off for the day, and said, knock it out, I'll come back at the end of the day. I had a lawnmower, and at the front of the lawnmower, it was completely cut out so that the man-sized weeds that were before me, it wouldn't get jammed up, and I was, that was my job for the day. I did not like my job for the day. In fact, that summer, I was supposed to be playing drums at a summer camp, and in my head, as a teenager, you know, 17 years old, I worked it out that I'd actually be, like, sipping iced tea by the pool when I'm not drumming, and it was just going to be this magical summer experience. However, I was an unmotivated student. I guess that's probably the best way to say it. Uh, I did poorly in my coursework that year, and my parents were like, man, you can't go away for the summer and get to do this cool thing if you're getting D's in your classes. Yes, D's. D's get degrees, by the way. Um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But, um. And so here I was in the middle of a field, and I was griping, and I was complaining to God. Now, I grew up in the church. Had a solid foundation. However, when I hit high school, uh, God just kind of dropped out of my life. It was really about to be how to fit in, how to be cool, date the cute girl, um, you know, 
play, do well at sports, play music. That was my focus, my attention. I went to church, but I just went through the motions because that's just kind of what you did. And so I, I would say that, yeah, I had a foundation, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at the time. And in that field, on that hot, hot, hot summer day, I caught a glimpse. This time not of a girl, but of God himself. I, I don't actually know how to fully describe it to you, but as I was griping and complaining, I, I, I like had this moment, this encounter with God. I mean, it was, it was, I don't share stuff like this very often, but it was like one of those moments like where the very words of God were just kind of scrolling before me. And in that field... When I was young, I gave my life to Jesus as the Savior of my life. In that field, I gave my life to Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I got to tell you, something clicked, something switched. It was almost as if of going from black and white to living in color. I'm moving into my senior year of high school, and all of a sudden, my faith is on fire. Like, because I got a glimpse of God, and it changed my life. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This isn't religion. This isn't rule. This is a relationship with the God Most High. How did I miss this? And my faith was on fire, and I just wanted to tell everyone around me about Jesus. Like I couldn't help it. Like at the coffee shop. Seriously. In my classes. I, I couldn't help it. I'm like, how did I not know this Jesus this way? And I grew up in the church. And I literally asked people this question. Has, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? I mean, that was like my opening line. Not because I'm like trying to sh- like share the gospel or go do whatever. I just was so excited about Jesus. I like met him and he changed my life and I want to introduce you to him. Has anybody ever told you about Jesus? When you get a glimpse of God, it will change your life forever. We're starting a new series this morning, Glimpse. My aim, my prayer is for some throughout this series is going to be one of those in the field moments for you where you're going to get a glimpse of God and your life's going to be changed forever. In fact, the New Testament writers understood this experience. Each of them had such a life-changing encounter with Jesus that it redirected the very course of their life and they wrote it down in what we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each encountered Jesus afresh, got a glimpse of God. And they each wrote down, like, the answer to that question, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? If you've ever read the New Testament and you've never been familiar with it, you're like, it keeps repeating itself. It's like book one's about Jesus, book two's about Jesus. What is going on They penned what we call the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. And Gospel simply means good news. Now think about this. Their encounter with Jesus was so rich, so meaningful, so profound, that they believed getting a glimpse of Jesus was really good news. Because they knew if you got a glimpse of Jesus, it would change your life. 
And so Matthew, disciple of Jesus, sits down to pen and answer that question, have you ever been told? Has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And, and he's writing to a very Jewish audience, and he's trying to unpack and help people understand that this Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah from the line of David that we have been hoping for and waiting for all these years. And he makes all those connections. In fact, that's why he begins with the genealogy of Jesus, telling us all the way back that he is indeed from the line of David, this long-awaited hope or Messiah. Well, and then Mark picks it up, and Mark's writing to a Roman audience, and, and it's all about action. I, I don't, Romans, you know, Romans were all about action and fight and grit, and Mark doesn't even start with the story of Jesus' birth. He just starts right in with John the Baptist, and, and he's like going, man, let me tell you about this Jesus who did incredible stuff. You don't want to miss it. And by the way, if you have a short attention span, Romans did. It's the shortest book. It's really short. And everything's immediately. He says immediately, immediately, immediately. Like, man, this is things happening. And then Luke sits down to pen this gospel, this good news, this story, this glimpse about who Jesus is. And he's writing to the skeptics. Luke, a historian and a doctor, he, he takes his time. He does thorough investigation, goes back to the eyewitnesses to help unpack for us. Okay, we've heard all these stories, but, but is it really true? And it's in Luke's gospel that we get our famous Christmas stories. Caesar Augustus, the, the manger, the wise men. And then, along, and then along comes John. And he sits down to pen his introduction, his story about Jesus. Now, John is actually in Ephesus at the time. Christianity began in Jerusalem. Ephesus is about 1,100 miles away from there. Christianity was really birthed out of Judaism. In Ephesus, the culture is Greek. Ephesus is an incredibly influential affluent, sophisticated, highly educated city filled with people that are upwardly mobile. Sounds a little bit like the Silicon Valley. And he's sitting down to a people who have no idea about a Messiah. And how do I explain this Jesus? How do I get them to get a glimpse of Jesus? How do I help them to understand? Because if they can just somehow get it, their life will be changed forever. How do I unpack this mystery? And I don't know how it happens. This is how I imagine it happened. That he's just wrestling and thinking about it in this city. And then one day it's just like, I got it. I got it. Here it is. Because there, there is an idea, there is a concept that both the Greeks and the Hebrews shared in common. There's this idea of the logos. We... The word. In the Greeks, it, uh, the idea of the logos was that there's this rational mind that ruled the universe. For the Hebrews, it was this self assertion of the divine personality, often used for them for God Himself. And He said, There's the connection point. There's the entryway for how do I share this incredibly wonderful, profound news to a people 
who've never heard of a Messiah. And so he opens his story about Jesus this way. It says, in the beginning was the word. You know that thing that you've always held up, that you've talked about, that, that there has to be some rational reasoning behind the universe. Yeah, we have all these gods, but there's something else at work that's bigger than that. We call it the Logos. Let me explain who the Logos is, that this Logos is Jesus, God himself. I find it interesting that, that John, actually, if you pay attention to this, is, is kind of giving a nod to the Genesis story. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created. Hinting at what Jesus was about to do and was all about. The creation story is all about creating God's great universe. And yet we find it filled with hurt and pain ever since the fall. And this hint of in the beginning was the word is that Jesus came to recreate, restore, bring back Eden to humanity. In the beginning was God. And then he goes on, uh, it was the word, and he says this, and the word was with God. This Jesus that, that I'm proclaiming to you in this gospel was with God. Like all the way from the beginning, he's pre-existence before time began, Jesus was, and he was with God. And he goes one step further than that, and the word was God. Distinct. And John unpacks this concept we call the Trinity, that there's one God revealed in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just a nice teacher. Jesus wasn't just, you know, a profound, amazing human that walked the planet. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't even just divine. He was deity. This was God visiting the planet. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and what John in his opening lines is wanting to tell us and tell you is in Jesus we get a glimpse of the eternal God. In Jesus, you get to see God. No one has ever seen God, but when you see Jesus, you see God. Like if you want to know how Jesus would relate to the hurting and broken, or know how God would relate to the hurting and broken, look at Jesus. If you want to know how he would relate to those who've pushed God, who've shunned God away, who said, I don't want anything to do with you, read and look at Jesus. Because, by the way, those who were nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. He came and pursued those who were far from him. And if you want to see how Jesus reacts to self-righteous religious people, See, when you see Jesus, you see clearly and perfectly exactly how God would respond, how God would react, how God feels. So powerful, as you, if you read John's gospel, John chapter 4, then he begins to be in, having this incredible conversation with the Samaritan woman. The wrong person, according to that day, 
of the wrong gender, whom a rabbi wouldn't even make eye contact with, let alone address. And Jesus brings dignity and value. In fact, this wrong person, wrong gender person, he discloses for the first person his purpose on this planet and expresses love and grace. See, that's how God responds. See, in Jesus, we get a glimpse of the eternal God, that Jesus isn't just a good man. He is indeed the God-man. And then he goes to, through and says this, through him, all things were made. Everything that we see, all the stuff that we know that exists, Jesus made it. Without him, and now this is really important, we go, well, he's just re- restating it. No, 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 it's actually nuanced. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, meaning Jesus was not created and then created everything out. This is the uncreated creator. This is the first cause that is causing all that we see and know. It's interesting, whether you're a theist or atheist, we all agree on one thing when it comes to, be, to creation. I don't know if you knew this or not. Remember, he started out in the beginning. We all believe there's a beginning. Hubble figured that out for us when he examined that galaxies were flying apart and said there is a beginning, and then we now talk about it as the Big Bang. And science tells us why, or tells us how things began. Unfortunately, it cannot tell us why. What began it? Why is there something Instead of nothing, why is there beauty and order to our planet? Fascinating, the new uh, atheist writes this. Um, Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennis, their insight insists that the universe came into being uh, on its own with no outside agents. The odds of existence by accidents because we have a beginning. And this is really problematic if if you're going like there can't be a divine being at the very least. Because there's a beginning. See, it used to be believed that, that, that matter was eternal and it happened... It, And so you had an infinite amount of time for us to figure out how to have rational reasoning life developed. But now we have a beginning. That's really problematic because now the odds of rational reasoning, orderly, unchaotic life. Well, it's actually um, 10 to the 60th power. That's the odds that would happen. In fact, physicist Paul Davies writes this. To understand this, that the odds of creating something from nothing with no outside agent, the odds tend to the 60th power. He says, let me, let me unpack what that actually means, what those numbers means. Imagine, if you will, that you're going to fire a bullet at a one-inch target on the other side of the observable universe. That's 20 billion light years away. Your aim would have to be accurate to the 10 to the 60th power to hit that one inch. Now, Hawkins admits that if the Big Bang had varied by one part in the hundred thousandth million and million, the universe would have recollapsed on itself. 
Now, if you're here and you're wrestling with God, because that through him, all things were made, you, you're like, oh, okay, I don't know about that. I, I'm not trying to convince you. Here's all I want to say. It takes faith either way. It just does. Both require faith. Let's not pretend it doesn't. But through him, all things were made. And by him, nothing was made that has been made. I want to move from the universe to the human body for a second, just because I've been fascinated by this, and I've been reading up and watching lots of TED Talks. Um, anybody else love the TED Talks? Yeah, I love it. I love them. I love them. Uh, and you know, many of you know this, that your body is primarily made up of collagen. It's a protein that your hair, your fingernails, your bones, your skin all have collagen. It's this rope-like structure that, that's twisted and, and, and swirled like this. And it makes up your, your body of who you are. And what's really fascinating is everywhere you find it in your body, it, it, it consists identically of this rope-like structure that's twisted and, and bent like this, whether it's your hair, your skin, your bones, except for one place. And it's the cornea of your eye. And at the cornea of your eye, it moves from this twisted structure to a grid. It's, it, what, it's what allows this collagen to move from being opaque to transparent, enabling you to see. Alexander um, Tessarius, in his TED Talk, as he was talking on this, says, it writes, it says, so perfectly organized a structure, he's speaking of collagen, it, it's hard not to attribute divinity. Like when you think about the makeup of who you are, the intricacies, the fine-tuning of your human body. He would go on to say it's magic. It's the mystery of life. Or take DNA, as we call it. It's the code of life. Wrapped up in your DNA, it explains and tells your body exactly who it's going to be. It, your DNA is why you're you. The color of your eyes, the color of your skin, your height. All of those sort of things are hardwired and, and written down in your DNA. It's interesting. Uh, it, what makes you you is a code or an alphabet uh, of just four letters. I know many of you studied this in, in class at some point. Uh, a, T, C, and G, and I don't I'm not going to pretend to be able to say the words. But it takes approximately three billion of them to build a human. Uh, Dr. Craig Vintner, he's the, the leading uh, researcher on this and has done immense work for a long time. Actually, he took his own DNA, his own genome, and, and wrote it all down. And so it filled 262,000 pages, 175 books. In fact, the amount of info packed in the, into the human DNA uh, stored to, to make a human baby, just a little baby, the amount of information that's stored, I mean, the, how incredible in your DNA. I mean, it's just so tiny, the amount of it. They said uh, to store it, if you would, on a hard drive. If you're going to put that onto a hard drive, you would fill the Titanic with hard drives 
2,000 times over just to store them on information, your DNA to create a simple human being. It's not so simple, is it? Baby. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now let's just go back to the whole idea of something starting by accident. I was going to get a different book, but I got this book. Your DNA is, is often the code of life or the book of your life. It's Now just imagine if there was a storm, a hurricane, and what it produced was this book. With the letters on it, all in order. Like, that's what we're saying when there was no divine activity or no first cause. That is the likelihood or the odds of it. And in Jesus, we get a glimpse of the eternal God. In Jesus, we get a glimpse of the creator of the universe. He's not just God that is distant. He's a creator that has crafted and cares for you. And if you are created, you have purpose and meaning. You are not an accident. And he goes on. He says this, in him, in this word, in this lagos, in him was life and the light of all man. See, in Jesus, in this Logos, what John is trying to write to this Greek culture, to this Greek culture that that has the foundation of such great philosophy and thinkers, is all the life's questions, the big life uh, questions, the big questions of life. Like, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Is there meaning to it all? What he's saying is in this Logos, in Jesus All of those questions are answered. In him was life because he is the very source of life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Now check this out. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Man, it's been dark in our world, hasn't it? A lot of pain. A lot of evil, the things that you just don't understand. And how good is it to know that, that there is a light upon which that darkness will never extinguish? That's what this word means, extinguish. It, it cannot put it out. It cannot quench this light. You see, the greatest darkness for humanity actually is the shade of death. It renders life meaningless. And here's what John is saying, and he's noting in his beginning introduction all the way to what's going to happen at the end of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Here's what he's saying is darkness, not even death, not even the grave. See, the creator will not be held down by the grave. Darkness and the evil one and evil cannot overcome him, period. And in Jesus, 
we get a glimpse of the very source of life. See, doesn't that change? Doesn't that change this manger story? I mean, we're going to hear the Charlie Brown version at some point. And it's like this nice little story, and it's this nice little, you know, something we share. What if it's more than that? What if it's more than a story? What if Jesus is more than a good man? What if he is more than a great teacher? What if there's more to this season that you need to get a glimpse of? What if Jesus actually is the more you need in your life? See, when you get a glimpse of Jesus, the eternal God, of Jesus, creator of the universe, the author and source of life. It changes your life. This morning, as I was speaking, I think some of you got a glimpse of Jesus that you had not before. And and if you did, my invitation is to respond. You see, I could have just had a glimpse of Jenny and it not changed my life. I could have went, wow, she's pretty. See, I had to walk across the room. And for some this morning, it's not just about getting a glimpse, having your heart race, but letting it be a passing moment. Would you respond? And for some, you've never entered into a relationship with God. Like the God of the universe who created all that we see and know came for you, died for you, came to life. Death could not defeat it for you that you might have a relationship with him and bring meaning and purpose to your life. And the invitation and the step for you is to go, okay, Jesus, I believe, would you come into my life? Would you come and bring me life? Would the author of life bring me life? Would you come and make me new? And you have to respond to the glimpse. And for others this morning, this is your field moment. This is the moment that was like for me in that field where you've done the church thing, you're going through the motions, but Jesus is just a nice idea. Jesus may be kind of like your, your comfort, but it's a whole different reality when you go, okay, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. That means you call the shots. That means you're in charge. That, that makes sense. If he's the author of life, we should let him tell us how to do our life. I don't know. I mean, call me crazy. And where you go, okay, I got a glimpse of the eternal God, creator 
sustainer and source of life. And today, I am responding to you. Here I am. Here I am. And so I'm just going to give you a moment. I'm inviting the band just to respond. Where are you at? Maybe it's for the very first time. Maybe you're in a season where this Christmas season is going to be the most meaningful one of your entire life because it's more than a baby. It's God with us. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never started a relationship and you'd like to, I want to invite you to just pray after me just so you can do it in the quietness of your heart. Dear Jesus, something when that Ryan guy was talking got my heart stirred. And I'm tired of going through the motions. I desperately need life. And today I put my trust and faith in you, believing that you are God with us. And that you died for me, that you came to life that you defeated the grave, that I might have life. So would you come into my heart and my life and make me new? And for those in this space that need to respond, I invite you, if you're in the space where it's a lordship issue, I'd invite you to pray this. Jesus, today I make you the Lord and master of my life. Like a blank check, I hand it to you. You get to fill it in. I'll follow you. I'm ready for the adventure. In Jesus' name.